0: Welcome to episode 131 of the and D Show. This week we flew to Adelaide to chat with celebrity bodyguard, actor, producer and Aussie wrestling legend Wayne Matty. Wayne lifts the lid on what it's like being a bodyguard for some of the biggest celebrities in the world including John Travolta, Steven Seagal, David Beckham, John claude Van Damme, John Cena and so many more. You won't believe some of the stories he shares including saving one of these names lives and who is the nicest actor he's ever worked for. Wayne opened up about his boyhood dream turned into a reality, which was professional wrestling. Wayne's won every title you can imagine in Australia and taken on the biggest names that have come out to Australia. Plus, he shares how close he got to even signing a contract with the WWE. Wayne has spent over 15 years bodyguarding for the WWE, and for those wrestling lovers, you won't believe some of the untold backstage stories he shares about some of the biggest names in the industry. These days, you'll find Wayne either on a film set in front of the camera or producing his very own productions. Now, I'm sure you've all heard of The Rock. Well, Big DJ was Wayne's boss when he worked on the first two seasons of The Rock's very own TV series called Young Rock. Wayne shares some amazing insight into what a top bloke The Rock really is. Now, if you enjoy this episode, be sure to share it with anyone else you think might get a real kick out of it, and make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes of The Doss and D Show. Now, sit back and enjoy the maniac himself, Wayne Massey.
1: Okay, Doss, we're in the city of churches. We've been talking a little about a place called Heaven before, but maybe not the metaphorical one. But we're in Adelaide, and we're sitting across... My background at the moment—I'm seeing championship belts, but we're sitting in front of an actor, a producer, a wrestler. I was going to say a bouncer, a bodyguard. He's done it all. Wayne Maddie, welcome to the Dos and D Show. Good
0: morning. Thanks for having me. Never been to Adelaide before, but uh, we just pulled up, and it looked like we were standing at the Hollywood Hills, literally, <laughs> like the the rolling hills of Adelaide. You're in a beautiful spot, mate. You've been here all your life.
2: Yeah, oh, I've lived in Adelaide all my life. We've lived up here for about four or five years, but yeah, we have a a visual from our house that looks like almost LA at nighttime when it's all lit up. It's surprising some of my friends have mentioned that. So we got a great view.
1: Love it. It's, it's beautiful. So tell us, we're going to start with what you're currently doing and we'll talk about everything across the next little bit of time. But tell us about Vigilantes and what you're doing currently.
2: Yeah, uh, look, it's, it's a film that myself and my wife wrote. We did it in less than a week, surprisingly enough. It was during COVID and that when there was not a lot happening and so on. So I didn't have a lot to do. And I sat down in front of the computer one day and I thought I'm going to try and... Well, I tried to write another film prior to that and it was called K-Fabe. Now that's a wrestling term which means keeping the realism of the, the good guy, the bad guy, the heel the face. And I started doing that and I got really stuck. I got writer's block with it and I just got... I just put it aside and I forgot about it. And then I, don't, I can't even tell you why I started. I started writing this movie called Vigilantes and it's, it's based off a of father and son's love and connection together but this little boy's absolute obsession with a reality TV show called Vigilantes. And it's basically where, you know, every day Joe Blows get to compete on a reality TV show against these big, massive monster Vigilantes in challenges and uh, they have to try and win to get points to, to win the show. But having said that, the Vigilantes have their own competition happening at the same time where if they can win the challenges and beat the other guys they get points to where two of them at the end will fight for the vigilante championship title world as well so there's two games in one that's happening and it's just how how the story proceeds through and with the the game show and some of the the vigilantes that are big characters and stuff so
0: it's super exciting because you're not now just on screen yourself you're actually writing it Mm. how long does it take to to write something like like this up
2: yeah I don't know if it's in my case it wasn't a case of how long it took me to write it it was how many bottles of vodka I needed to drink <laughs> yeah. to uh, to get it done <laughs> yeah um but yeah, look it was it was just funny it kind of I started with it and then it just kept spewing out of me and I kept going and my wife would come in and see me and she go, are you not finished yet? And I'm like, no, I can't. I've got to keep going. Mm. So she'd grab my glass and go and refill it Yeah, put it back to <laughs> yeah. the desk and I'm like, beautiful. And, and, What's that and
0: mixed and with? A bit of soda or? Yeah, yeah. soda water. A bit that's of lime. all. Yeah. A little bit of lime. Yeah, nice. But,
2: you know, I, if we run out, I don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's uh, – It just became an obsession that I I had to finish the story and I'd finished the story and I was really happy with it and I gave it to a few people to read that are in the movie industry and they really, really liked it. They said, this is, you've got something here. And then whilst that was happening, I was actually sitting down writing number two. So I've already written Vigilantes number two as well, so I have that script sitting there ready to go and I'm halfway through writing the prequel of Vigilantes at the moment, which is before... Before that one. So I'll have hopefully a a trilogy.
0: Unreal. So
1: if you go back, say, 20 years, would you ever imagine you'd be doing this? Absolutely not. (laughs) So where did this passion come from or where did it even start or did you fall into it by accident?
2: Yeah, it's it's a hard one. Like I've done a lot of stuff in my life and I never planned to do any of it. I I never planned to be a a bodyguard. I never planned to be a wrestler, even though I loved wrestling since I was five and I never planned to be a a screenwriter or an executive producer, director or whatnot like that. I had no idea. I always had aspirations, you know, one day I want to be someone or, you know, be something. But I had no idea what, and I didn't know that I was going to actually do any of it. It just kind of, it's kind of fallen into place, which is really weird. So it's like when I started acting, I got told, someone saw me in the wrestling ring and they said you have this really great look you need to go get a, an agent and i went down to this place one day where you you know you can put your name down or whatnot and i'm walking across the street and this agent saw me walking across the street She come up to me and she goes who are you who are you because <laughs> i'm so and so and i said right and she goes oh you're are you here to sign i said yeah before i could say anything else she grabbed me and dragged me inside she goes you're mine yeah <laughs> Okay, and that's that's kind of how my acting thing started, you know. You had, no had the look. Had the look. I gave her a, a, a DVD, which is like a wrestling promo DVD that had, you know, a minute 30 worth of me goofing around and beating people up, but that was about it. So, and I mean, when you see wrestling, even to nowadays and some of the acting is terrible. Mm. So <laughs> I was no thespian or Shakespearean sort of person <laughs> whatsoever. I was just this meathead, but it seemed to work, so. Well,
0: and then, obviously we were talking about just before, but that hat behind you, you obviously acting in, in the TV show Young Rock, written mm. by The Rock, playing Sergeant Slaughter. Like yep. that is pretty special.
2: Yeah, look, that's a, that's a funny story in itself. I, um, I'd received a call from my agent and she said to me, look, I've got a, a role that I want you to audition for. And I said, great, okay. And she goes, I'll send it to you. She goes, it's some show called uh, Young Rock or Rock something or other and <laughs> my agent, Ann Peters, is... A a very mature lady. um, (laughs) Doesn't really know anything about wrestling. So, yeah, she said, all right, we're going to send you something. And she sent me this through and it was an audition for the character Brutus Beefcake. I thought, oh, okay. I said, I'll give it a shot at the time I had this massive black pirate beard and I had some hair and, you know, I'm absolutely covered in tattoos. I look more like Batista than anyone else. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been told by like hundreds of people. I can only imagine. We
1: were were cautious. We said, we probably shouldn't say that because we've heard you... They've been said on other podcasts. And so you're probably a bit sick of me, called Batista. Uh,
2: look, even Seamus calls me Big Dave. He did it. We we're, we're, were in the Philippines together, and uh, every time we're in the gym, we'd take a photo, and he'd be training with Big Dave, and he'd tag Batista in That's it. That's hilarious. Or when people had come out to help us out of the Big cars, Dave. he'd go, oh, "Make sure you look after Big Dave first. And I'm like, yeah. "You're the talent, not me." But yeah, so back to, to Young Rock. So I got the audition for Brutus Beefcake. I'm the sort of person when I do the audition that I like to get right into character. So I, I got, you know, the the nice vest that he would used to wear with no shirt underneath. I had pink sleeves up to the forearms and I had the big pair of the, the shears that he would use when he was the barber. So I delivered the line. It was just one really short line and uh, we sent it off and then I had to wait to see if I'd got the role and it, it took a while and I hadn't heard anything. I was like, oh, jeez, what's going on? I'd actually then found out what the actual show was, which was based on the life of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Wow. And I'm like, shit, I need to be in this. I have to be in this. You know, I can't not. If I, if I don't get in this, then I'm not worth anything. So I rang my agent again and, and she said, look, I haven't heard anything, but I can get you to audition for someone else. Like, Great. Give, give me someone else. It's fine. So she goes, um, have you heard of King Kong Bundy? And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I know who he is. She goes, right, well, we're going to get you to audition for him. And I'm thinking, oh, you better have a fat suit, you know, because <laughs> I, I can shave my head. Is that an I'm, insult yeah, or...? Yeah, I, I didn't know how to take that. But you know what? I thought if it gets me in the show, I don't, yeah. I don't care. So, again, it was a one-liner. I didn't know how to dress for Bundy. I just couldn't. I just did it in a singlet. Yeah. and Had to deliver the line and did that one. Again, had to wait weeks for that and still heard nothing. And then I rang my agent again and I was in a mad panic because I'm thinking, this is getting too far down the line. I'm going to miss out on this because I heard other people in different states that were getting auditions for other characters and I'm thinking, oh, dude, you know, I'm going to be finished. And then I asked my agent again, I said, I need to be in this thing. Get me someone else. So she's gone back to the lady and come back again and then she goes, all right, I've got one for you. And she goes, do you know who Sergeant Slaughter is? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> part of my language, like, are you kidding me? Of course yeah. I know who he is. She goes, well, we need you to audition for him. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus. <laughs> you know, he's an American icon. He's, you know, Marine. He's the guy with the, the old glory flag coming out and all that. And I'm thinking, here's this Aussie boy that's going to have to pull off Sergeant Slaughter. So I got the script and it had more lines than anyone else. And I'm thinking, this is, this is great, you know, I'll get a little bit more airtime. So, again, I had the big black pirate beard, but I thought, right, I need to get into character. So I went and bought the aviators. I bought a camouflage baseball hat. I got a big camouflage jacket. I even got the lanyard with the the drill sergeant whistle. (laughs) I thought, I've got to go all out for this. And they said, look, we want you to have fun with this audition. If you can ad lib a little or whatever, whatever. She said, it's a fun show. I said, okay. So I had to. My lines were along the lines of that asked if anyone had seen Macho Man and I put my hand up and say something like, yeah, look, his girlfriend's birthday or whatnot. But I've taken some notes for him and I had a notepad and pen and I flicked the notepad and pen around and it's got all these American eagles and American flags drawn on there. I've not written anything for Macho Man whatsoever. So that was the nuts and bolts of the scene. So I thought, all right, so when I filmed the audition, I've delivered the lines, I've put the real growly, raspy, Sergeant Slaughter accent on… And then I'd drawn a stick ring like with stick figures on the, the bit of paper. And I've pretended that Macho Man is up on the top rope coming off with the elbow. And I've gone, and as you can see, there's Macho Man there and he comes off with the elbow. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and then I've thrown the notepad at the camera. I've just, you know, I basically thought, you know, stuff this. I'll just do whatever I want and yeah. see how we go. And then I'd pretend to bag Bundy over here and saying, look, all you know is the 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 full list of the Taco Bell menu, so shut your mouth or something like that. And we sent that off and after I sent it off, I've gone, I'm screwed. You know, <laughs> why did I do that? You know, This was my chance to get in the show and I've just done that. And then it went for about eight weeks and I heard nothing. Oh. And I was just dying, it's you know, brutal. thinking this, I'm, I'm finished. It's never going to get in. I heard other guys in other states auditioning for other roles and I'm thinking they're going to get in and I'm going to get nothing. And then all of a sudden I was driving to pick my son up from school and the phone rings and it's my agent, Ann. And she's very she calls everyone darling. As soon as she answers the phone, she goes, Darling, oh my God, darling. And I said, Yeah. She goes, You got it. And I've gone, What? She goes, You're sergeant slaughtered. Oh, I almost wow. crashed. I bet. Wow. Yeah. So it was a it was a pretty big, big shock to be able to be told that I got it. And then after doing the show, the amount of people like that would interview me and so on from America, from England and so on, they all turn around and go, How can somebody from Australia with your accent and so on? pull off sergeant slaughter with the growly you know american drill sergeant accent i said i have no idea i said it just happened Mm. they're like it's just amazing and then to actually get to meet talk to sergeant slaughter himself get his praise on how i played the role and how thankful he was that i depicted him really well and how impressed he was that he had all these muscles and so on when he never really (laughs) did. (laughs) Nice little add-on. Yeah, Yeah. so he was really, really happy and I got to meet his daughter, Kelly, who she was the one who introduced me to Sarge. She said the story of when it aired in America, she's got a little daughter and the show was on TV and she stopped and she pointed at the screen and she goes, who's that on the screen there? She goes, that's Grandpa. I'm like, oh, well, even the littlest... Of the family, the the daughters turned around and said that I look like grandpa. So I'm thinking, yeah, I've done something right. Yeah, it's Maybe amazing. it's the hair and the moustache.
1: <laughs> when it comes to acting, so in your situation, you've got this unique look about you. Is it a blessing or a curse in terms of getting roles? So you hear about other wrestlers talk about Batista or John Cena or even The Rock. Like everyone knows or there's like a bit of a joke about, you know, the Rock style of movie. There's oh. a way The Rock plays himself or he plays his style of character. Is it easy to get work with the look you've got because, it, okay, we need – Somebody that can either wrestle, or we need a, a big guy, or, or is it easier to find work, or is it tougher because you feel maybe pigeonholed into certain kind of roles?
2: Yeah, look, I don't think I'm going to uh, gain any romantic comedy roles anytime <laughs> yeah. soon, uh, but the big nasty bad guy, a hundred percent, I'm all yeah. over it. Yeah, it's funny. I did a, uh, a movie called Never Too Late with James Cromwell, Jack Thompson, Jackie Weaver. You know, a few names. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. On. And I got asked to play the. <laughs> the mean male nurse in a nursing home. <laughs> um, so I guess my look was perfect for that. So I'm sort of a, a character-based actor. You yeah. Know, that, that's sort of, you know, like a big, over-the-top, mean, nasty-looking comic book character-style thing. And I, I'm quite happy for that because then, you know, you get these roles and you have some lines and stuff and it's really good like that, but you don't have hundreds of pages because I think if I had hundreds of pages, I'd died of anxiety trying to remember all the lines. But... Having said that, in, in Vigilantes, I'm co-starring in the film, so I've got quite a bit of dialogue in there as well. So I'm Great. stepping out of my comfort zone to be able to try to do that more. And uh, yeah,
0: It'd be rude not to ask, but did you, get, did you get to meet the big fella who the show's about?
2: The Rock? No. Yeah. We were hoping that he did come to Australia the first time when we did season one. COVID was pretty heavily happening, and I think The Rock had just recovered from COVID. Him and his family yeah. had COVID. So travel for him was not going to happen. And then in season two... Again, we thought he was possibly going to come over, but he didn't. So. But I had a, not so much an interaction but an acknowledgement from The Rock on, on two points. Uh, at one stage on Instagram, I'd posted a picture of me outside my trailer which had Sergeant Slaughter on there, and this was prior to going into makeup, so I had my beard and everything on like that. And I think I just said something along the lines of, Sergeant Slaughter's coming for you or something <laughs> like that. The Rock actually commented on my photo wow. and said, Thanks for being such a badass Sergeant Slaughter. And it's from, you know, the rock with the blue tick. So it's legit. He'd wow. comment on yeah. which I'd hardly ever see him comment on anyone's photos. No. I mean, he probably does, but I don't see it. So I got that acknowledgement online on Instagram from him to start with, which for me was huge. And then it was huge. Everyone's like, oh, my God, you know. Yeah. But uh, funny story, but not so funny story is in the season one when we were filming, when we were rehearsing the role where the big battle royal is in season one, I'd actually torn my hamstring. My foot, it got caught in one of the extras' T-shirts because I had to throw a kick to his midsection and then we are going to whip him off the rope. And the lad was a big lad and he had a big baggy T-shirt on. My heel of my sneaker got caught in his T-shirt and I couldn't get it out and I'm hopping around and he moved and he must have moved it away that my leg went too far and I had a grade one hamstring tear. Oh, no. And I couldn't walk on it. And this was, you know, we were two days out from shooting the Battle royal. The producers were worried that they're going to have to replace me and find somebody else something shit, you know i tried so hard to get this role and now uh, they're going to cut me yeah um so i said no, no no i said i'll be fine i said just give me these two days across from the hotel where we were staying there was a facility that did cryotherapy so what that is is where you get put in this enormous fridge almost they took it down to minus 140 degrees and left me in there for like three minutes Uh, And that helps repair and heal damage and injuries that you have. So I did that for two days straight. I had that sort of treatment. Went back on set. They had a physio for me. My leg was black at that stage. All at the back. Absolutely black. So she taped me up. She stretched me. She warmed me. She got me ready. I got into the ring. Chavo Guerrero, who was our wrestling coordinator on the show, said, "Okay, Wayne's injured, so no one go berserk on him. Let him just do his thing and, you know... Whatever happens, happens. But remember his leg. So we shot, shot it. I did it. The adrenaline came through and I didn't feel anything. Yeah. You know, I couldn't feel the hamstring at all. I was going berserk and doing all sorts <laughs> of stuff and all this. And then we finished and cut. And then as soon as I stepped out of the ring and tried to walk down the stairs, I'm like, oh, there, there it is. So they brought the golf buggy in. They got me on the golf buggy and transported me back to my trailer and all that. Then when I had wrapped, I'd gone back to my sister-in-law's home in Queensland where we were staying for the time being. And there was a knock at the door and they opened the door and it was one of the guys, he was a runner for the production of, of Young Runk and he comes in and he goes, oh, I've got a parcel for, for Wayne. And I was in the bedroom lying down. They said, yeah, you got to come out here. There's someone from the show for you. And I'm thinking, someone from the show's here? I'm thinking, what have I done wrong? <laughs> oh, no. I'm thinking back on, have I done anything wrong? What have I done Did I say something wrong? Have I d- told someone something? No. <laughs> nah. So i walked down and I'm like, <laughs> hey girl, he goes, this is for you. Okay. I've looked at it and it was a brown bag like uh, that you would put a bottle in. And it said something along the lines of, uh, Dear Wayne, thanks so much for your efforts on set. I really appreciate it. Signed, DJ. So it was from from Dwayne himself. Pulled it out and it was a bottle of his Terramana oh, tequila. How wow. Me? I still have it in the, in the arcade room. I bet. And it was a bit of thanks from him because he knew what I'd gone through to make sure we got the scene and they didn't have to recast and do all that sort of garb. So... So even though I didn't get to meet him, he knew of me through the post and then obviously what I did on set and appreciated it and gave me that bottle so. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, that was good
0: enough for me. That, have you opened that bottle? No. no. <laughs> no. I no. wouldn't no. reckon. No, <laughs> I've
2: actually watched it diminish down a little bit after time it's gone down and I keep looking oh, at it. No, oh, no.
1: No. oh, that's incredible. Well, we'll come sort of full circle back into where you are now, but take mm. us back a little bit to sort of where it began for you. Like in your teenage years, where you're a big guy, went in the gym, you've obviously got the bodybuilding up there. Tell mm. us a little bit about how you were growing up and how you got into, yeah, bodybuilding and, and wrestling.
2: Um, well, when I was younger, my mum was single, was raising me, and then she met my dad
1: when I was about five. So
2: my stepdad, but I call him my dad. And he's been with me ever since, he's, he's, so he's, he's my dad. They raised me at a young age. Uh, you know, it was hard because I was an only child, so I didn't have any brothers or sisters. And, you know, it was always like on the weekends, Saturday morning getting on the phone, you know, and it was the old ring phone like this. And Hey, are you home? Can I come over and play? No, no. Oh, okay, hang up, who's next? Uh, and do it again to try and find someone to play with. So it wasn't uh, too bad, but it was it was hard growing up to be on your own, like that sort yeah. of thing. But then when I was about 13, I managed to get a job at a place down in Glenelg, a big amusement center called Magic Mountain. Uh, and a big amusement place with there's video games, pinball machines, uh, bumper boats, water slides, all that. And I worked there for years, and that was basically where I grew up. I learned so much being there, you know, you'd learn about different things. There's fights, there's all sorts, there's girls, there's, there's everything, so... It was a really great environment for me to be in being an only child so I enjoyed that then I moved into a amusement place in the city and that was just working in the video arcade and the security guys there were saying to me you know yeah you should get into security I wasn't the biggest guy I was tall and, and skinny but it was a definite change from when I was in school when I was in school as a short little fat kid and I uh, was always concerned about how I looked at my body and all that. And I'd, I'd get just like, <laughs> <laughs> just like us, just like us. We would have had a great triple threat back yeah, in the day, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I used to get beat up in, in high school and primary school because being the, the short, little, fat kid like that, you know, they were the, the bigger, dominating kids that were in school. I remember one kid once, I was sitting down at a, a desk in I think it was biology, and I'm sitting next to this girl. And he walks in and he was one of the new kids at school and so he's trying to make a name for himself and he's walked up to me and he goes, you're sitting in my seat. I said, am I? I sit here every week. And he goes, you're sitting in my seat. Uh, And before I could say anything, he's wiped my, you know the pencil boxes you used to have, you'd make your tech, wiped it off the bench and it's gone everywhere and my pencils are on the floor. So I bent over to pick it up like this and as I've done, his fist has come up and just uppercut me straight in the face. Busted my nose everywhere. There was just blood everywhere, so...
0: That's something from a movie. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'd like to rewrite it. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I had this horrible broken nose. I was off school for a while. The kid didn't even get expelled. He got, you know, suspended for like a day or so. And I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. So I had those sorts of dramas in high school and, you know, I left at uh, the end of year 11, in fact. I'd completed year 11 and I went back to school for the following year, for year 12, and when I went there with my mum, we – gone up to get the books and all that sort of stuff and the teacher's going oh we don't see your name on the list so what do you mean you don't see my name have you and they've gone have you ever been to this school I'm Like, are you kidding me I've been here since year eight I said that's the principal that's the deputy principal and that's my old homeroom teacher they've gone oh well we don't have you listed anywhere and I said what does that mean and they brought somebody over and the teacher said oh we, that, you're probably going to have to do year 11 again I've got you kidding me I said, I've just completed year 11. They said, yeah, but there's no record, so you're going to have to do year 11 again. So I stormed out with my mum and I said to her, I said, that's it. I said, I'm not going back. I'm not redoing year 11. It's not happening. So I I focused on working full time at the the amusement place. But then, like I said, the security guys tried to get me to get my security license. And I was training in the gym at the time. And all the guys in the gym where I trained were, were bouncers at nightclubs as well. And um, they said, what do you do? And I said, I work in a video arcade. And they all laughed at me. They said, what are you doing that for? And I said, it's fun. I don't know. Come beat me on Street Fighter and we'll talk. And they're like, yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> Long story short, they told me to get my security licence. I got my security licence. And I started doing work on the weekends in in nightclubs around around the city. But the guards in the shopping centre were the ones that got me my first bodyguard role. They asked me to help out one day. They knew they were short. And they said, are you working tomorrow? And I said, no. I got the day off and they said do you want to work with us we need a hand like, oh, yeah mall security you know it's like Paul Blart you know walk around going, oh. Oh, Paul Blart <laughs> on the, se- on on the, the segway yeah. <laughs> back then there was no segways but yeah. yeah so I said yeah alright so I've turned up that day and put down in the loading bay and I said what are we doing here and they said "Oh, we've got to escort somebody upstairs so oh, okay so this limousine pulls up and people get out and then this chick gets out with this really big hat and a pair of sunnies on. I'm looking at her and oh who's that and then the hat come off and the sunnies come off and i've gone oh shit it's Elle mcpherson yeah gone (laughs) uh okay and i said what now they said you got to walk in front of her and escort her through the crowd because what it was was her i think did she have a lingerie or a swimwear line it was something wasn't it
0: i don't know but i will look that up later (laughs) 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 we're hoping lingerie (laughs) um
2: so it was the launch of let's say, little Andre line. And I had to get her through the crowd with these other guys and she get up on stage, did her thing, and then we brought her back down. Uh, and she said thank you to us all when we got her downstairs Then she hopped in the car and left. So that was my first technically bodyguard gig that I'd ever done. And I thought, oh, can get used to this. But then there wasn't any, anything recurring further after that. I was more so into the bouncing where I'd worked at that uh, rather notorious nightclub called Heaven. Here in Adelaide, and I was there for about ten years, and saw all the drama that happened there. So it was an interesting start from a short, little, fat kid over here to then becoming the security supervisor of one of the most notorious and nasty nightclubs yeah. in Adelaide. No one had ever thought that I would have ended up like that. Plus, I'd shot up. I was about six foot three. You know, I was about one hundred and twenty kilos of solid muscle compared to little chubby Wayne that could <laughs> do the truffle shuffle back in school. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so
0: yeah, it's it's a full circle. It's kind of strange how it ended up. So then, is it while you're working at this nightclub when you begin to wrestle? Because I know you started wrestling kind of mid-20s or late 20s. Was that around that time?
2: Not when I was working at that nightclub. By the time I started wrestling, I'd actually gone and bought a security company for myself. Okay. I was working for this company. It was called Sundown Protection Services. And I knew the owner uh, was possibly considering selling, but at the same time, I wasn't sure. So I decided I'd open my own company and try to run that. And he'd found out that I'd done that and said, look, are you interested in you know maybe buying a couple of clients from me or or whatnot to get you started? And I said, yeah, look, yeah, that might work. So it went from buying a couple of clients to actually buying the whole thing. And in the end, I was just lucky enough that we are able to get the money together that I purchased Sundown for myself. And we were running that for ages. And the way I got into wrestling was these guys come to my office one day asking if we'd provide security to a a local wrestling show. And I was like, local wrestling? I said, do you you actually do local wrestling shows? I mean, I was a big fan of WWF and then in turn the WWE, but I had no idea that Australia had local wrestling shows. So I said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd be more than happy to. So we started working there. And, of course, I went to work there myself because I'm a big wrestling fan. I'm like, yeah, this is sick. I'm going to get paid to watch the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I've ended up... I worked the runway so I'd have the best view of the ring, you know, out of the way of everyone because I'm the boss. I can go wherever I want. Yeah. <laughs> so at that time I had really short hair but I dyed it blonde like Tito Ortiz used to have for the uh, UFC. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was about – was around 130 kilos. And I'm standing there at the runway and <clears throat> the door's open and all these kids come running in to grab the seats and all that and they see me standing there. And they come up and they've got their – you know the flip phones back then, and they're taking pictures of me and all this. And can I have a photo with you? And I'm like, what for? You're one of the wrestlers, aren't you? No, nah, man. I said I'm just the security guy. Nah, you're one of the wrestlers. We know we're not stupid. And I'm like, mm, in my mind, I'm going, yeah, you yeah, are stupid because I'm not. But oh well. Uh, long story short, the show had finished that night. The promoter come back to me, and I said, Are hey, you happy with everything? How it all went, and so on. And he goes, Yeah, it was, it was really good. He said there was one issue though. I said, okay, tell me the issue and I'll, I'll fix it for you. And he goes, it was you. And I'm like, me? I said, I hadn't moved from here at all. I said, I was like a statue. I said, okay, I probably watched the show too much. I get that. I said, I'll, <laughs> I'll focus on the crowd more. He goes, no, 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 it was none of that at all. And I said, what was that? He said, the crowd just looked at you all night. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. I said, look, all right, I won't come to any more shows. I said, I'll let my guys do it. I said, you know, I'm, thanks for letting me come to this one because I really enjoyed it. It was great. And he goes, no, 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 look, we, we don't have to do that. And I said, well, what can we do? And he said, have you ever thought of wrestling? I said, what? He goes, have you ever thought of wrestling? And I said, I, no, because I didn't think it was possible here. I thought you'd have to be in America, you have to do all over. He goes, no, no, no. He said, well, you've seen our production and what we put together. He said, we can train you and we can put you in the ring. He said, you've already got the look. He said, everyone thinks you're a wrestler already. And he said, <laughs> yeah. you're bigger than all my guys in the ring. So, okay. So I trained for about eight months. I kept working the shows and I kept doing security on the shows whilst I was training. Okay. And the way they brought me in was there was a, a, a news reporter, a Channel 10 news reporter for sports called Mark Aston. He was in the ring this night. that brought him in as a special guest and he's interviewing the heels, the bad guys. And of course, the bad guys turn on Mark and they start to beat him up in the ring and all this. And everyone's kind of going, "Oh, looking down at me, looking back at the ring like this." So I've done the old Hulk Hogan, <laughs> ripped off my security shirt and ran into the ring and just wiped them all out, and the whole place just went absolutely <laughs> berserk. So, because uh, I think they'd been waiting for eight months for me to do That's something, so and cool. I think they'd got to a point where they've gone, "You know what? He's just a security guy." Yeah. they're like, "Ah." Oh. But then when I ran in, everyone's going, I knew it, I knew it. You know? so I thought the whole time that it's been planned. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. So it was a nice way to bring me in and a good debut, I think, that it was done that way. And the way my name came about was my, my mum was there because she knew it was going to happen, so it was my dad. The next day I said, oh, Ma, what did you reckon? And she goes, oh, she goes, that was crazy. She goes, you ran to the ring like a bloody maniac. <laughs> and I've gone, that's it? So my, my mum inadvertently gave me my name so yeah yeah and then they came to every show that i did here which was great so. maniac
1: were you did you spend more time as a heel or or a face and Look, what was I'm the most
0: heel thing you ever did oh I've done horrible things. <laughs> <laughs> in real life or in uh, be, <laughs> well well we've well you, you're more of a heel lover than i am i I'm love more the of a baby face i love the heels
1: i think as, a, as you grow as you grow up like as a kid you love the fa- baby faces but as you as you become a teenager and into adulthood, I, I always like the heel don't you? Or you no, I'm, a, I'm a baby face. Man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, look, when I was
2: brought in, I was a face because everyone went nuts that I would actually was a wrestler and was brought into the ring. So I was the good guy for a long time. Mm. Then they tried to. I think I I went to Sydney to wrestle over there, and they tried to bring me in as a heel. And again, I'd you know. You know scratch their eyes out or I'd give them a low blow and all this sort of stuff, but they'd still cheer me. And I'm thinking, you're a bunch of sick people if you think this is, you know, good. But then again, it was the old thing of, it's called the stone cold syndrome. You become a tweener, which means you're in between a face and a heel. So for a long time, I was a tweener. You know, I couldn't get over as a heel because I was still a face, but they kind of dug what I did as the bad guy. Yeah. So then what had happened was, I went to Melbourne to wrestle, and I was like, "I've got to, I've got to be the bad guy here." They're telling me, they're saying, "You dude, uh, you've got to be the ultimate bad. We're going to put you against the biggest baby face we have yeah. got, a guy called Jack Swagger. You know, real pretty boy, blonde hair, blue eyes. He was in shape. Is that your wasn't. man? Is that Is your it man? Daniel Swagger. Daniel, yeah, 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 I know Daniel Swagger. Oh, I said Jack Swagger, didn't I? He's a WWE guy. No, but I know Daniel. Daniel Swagger. Yeah, blonde hair.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I went to one of those independent shows. You might have been there actually. It was in Warnable. I don't know if you ever went to Warnable and did any shows.
2: I, I did do one big one with uh, PCW down in Warnable. Yeah, it was
0: PCW. Yeah. Um, but Daniel Swagger, he was the main event. And he
2: wrestled Cracker Jack, didn't yes. he? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I was on that show because I wrestled Tome Philippe, who was the model kid.
0: Okay, there you go. Out.
2: Yeah, and I yeah, that's actually one of my favourite matches because I absolutely pulverised it. <laughs> oh, and, we, we uh, had
0: the best time that night. There's yeah. great footage of my old man actually, like we were just loving it. You know, independent wrestling is so much fun. That's you know?
2: amazing that you were there. Like I remember that show like it was yesterday, and that's one of my favourite ones. I bring up on YouTube all the time for everyone to see, because uh, Tone, the young kid, was he just sold everything beautifully. You know, he's not. He wasn't even half my size, and I'm throwing him around. I'm... Superplexed him off the top rope. I ended up giving him a big tombstone pole driver, which no one really did in Australia back then. Uh, I and I the we, went nuts.
1: I, we saw that yesterday and I couldn't believe you were doing that because I thought that was an illegal – I thought – I don't know if it was a wives' tale or what, but I heard that, yeah, you had to – only like a couple of guys, Undertaker and Kane, were allowed, mm. to, were allowed to do that.
2: <laughs> yeah, you had to be strong enough to be able to hold them.
1: Yeah, it's at dangerous. The right
2: height to be able to do it because obviously your knees take the impact before your yeah. head even touches the ground. And then if they do it right, they tuck their head enough that it's almost like a roll. Mm. After you release them, they kind of roll and that's it. And if they have longish hair as well, it's even better because the gap between uh, the mat yeah. and their head is covered by their hair so you don't really see. Gotcha. So it's yeah. a whole lot of smoke and mirrors. But, yeah, I used to do it all the time. and You know, I'd, I'd, I'd do ones where... Another guy had picked me up to Tombstone me, but then I'd flip back and reverse him and pick him up this way and have him that way, and everyone was like, "Shit, how did he do that?" <laughs> so I was—that uh, was one of my great finish moves. But that, I can't believe you were at that yeah, show.
0: Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, I was there with um, one of our good mates and then my old man, and yeah, we just we went two years in a row. Yeah, they must—they came out the next year. Coastal and, conflict. Yeah, coastal conflict. That's what it That's was called. It. Yeah, it was good fun. We had yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, I yeah.
2: remember I actually did a run in during the show as well. I saved Mister Big the midget. Yeah, were we, were that that were
0: night, we, we were there that night too Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember Mr Big Because I got a photo with the man
2: Yeah, yeah. wow, that's a small world There you go But yeah, I mean on that show I was a f- uh, face yeah. You would have seen the crowd Because obviously we made Tome really play it up That he was a model And you know he had disdain for everyone He had this big weed whacker spray bottle That I told him to have like this spray of arrogance Or something rather. other It was very ah. similar to the Rick Martell thing That they did in WWF But I said to him We've never been here before They've never seen us before you really need to sell that you're the bad guy and I'm the good guy. And, you know, this is great advice to give to this kid, but then when I <laughs> I came out first and I've walked out with my skeleton mask on and all this sort of stuff and I've ripped it off and gone, the crowd, and they are all got their hands out and I'm kind of looking at them like this and then I'm like, oh, shit, I'm the good guy. Yeah. So I start <laughs> smacking hands. Yeah, Thumbs up like you know? And I'm like, Ooh. Okay, I saved myself on that one. And then Tom coming out was really arrogant. Oh, yeah. And I think for the first... Seven minutes of that match, we didn't even touch each other because everyone kept chanting, you're a wanker oh. for Tom," And it was hilarious. And we'd go to lock up and Tome and bail outside and everyone would get really pissed off with him. So we really sold it really well that he was just the absolute
1: prick. And it then worked. by
2: the time I got my hands on him, everyone was like, yeah. So. <laughs> it's
1: a yeah. yeah. it storytelling. And we love it. Yeah. Um, I want to ask... About Scott Steiner, because obviously got the, the post on the wall over there. So that was your – is that your last match? Was- well, I call it my last
2: match. I did do one more match on a show okay. where I was in a rumble and then I had a singles match. Okay. But it wasn't the best. I had an injury to my hamstring okay. as well. So I technically say, yeah, my, my match with Steiner was my last
1: So would that be the biggest name in terms of WWE that you come across or is there any others across the journey? And what's it like for – I suppose not everybody gets the opportunity to – when these guys come out to wrestle them. Ooh. So to get that opportunity, what's that like? Oh, look,
2: it was it was crazy because I'd wrestled with a few different guys before Chavo Guerrero, Orlando okay. Jordan. Orlando who, um, Jordan. He was
0: one of your favourites. I used to love Orlando Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. So there was quite a few guys that I'd wrestled with from WWE. That would come yeah. Out. And because I was the bigger guy, they'd like to put me with them because if majority of Australian guys, and this is no disrespect to anyone whatsoever, but even back then, I mean, now it's changed a bit, but a lot of the guys were never really built. Mm. You know, they were... Younger lads that want to get in and learn and and that's great for them to do so. But it's still, they're just, you know, they're young young lads, you know. And they come out and they tap out shorts and they wear a singlet and that because they don't really want to take the shirt off and so on. Whereas there's me at about 132 kilos. Oh, At one stage, I was 142 when I wrestled in America. But this big guy that would go out there, no shirt on and just Mm -hmm. go nuts. So they would always kind of send them my way. They said to me, they said, oh, we've got a real big show coming up called Super Clash. We want you on the show in the main event. I said, yeah, cool. And they said, look, there's the people on the show, there's like, I think there was Rob Van Dam, someone else, I can't remember. But then they said, oh, the main event's going to be you. And I said, oh, okay, who am I wrestling? They went, Scott Steiner. And I've gone, (laughs) what? (laughs) The the real Scott Steiner? I I said, Scott. Big popper. Scott Scott Steiner. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I said, Rick's brother. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit. And like I'd heard so many stories. Like everyone that did that, that Scott was really nasty. Mm. He's not really nice to work with and, you know, he'd, bash the shit out of you in the ring and I'm thinking, oh God, I think this is gonna be interesting. So got to the venue on the day, I'm sitting backstage and I'm waiting for him to come and he's taking his time and all this. And then all of a sudden he rocks up. And I stay over in my corner. I don't really everyone else is like, oh Scott, how you doing? Blah blah blah. All this and I can see him looking at him. And he's got this look of like just piss off. Get away from me. So I think, no, nah, I'm just gonna be cool about it. And then once he got settled and he was all right, I walked up to him and I put my hand down and I said, Hi oh, Scott, I said I'm Wayne. I said I'm working with you today. And he said, how you doing? kind of looked at me and he's like because mm, I was bigger than Scott then uh, he's like, mm, okay <laughs> and I said let me know exactly what you want to do for today I said I'll do whatever you want I said I'm happy with whatever just let me know and he goes all I want is I don't want to get hurt I said me too <laughs> and he looked at me and he said I said you know I can't remember how old I was at the time but I said you know I would have been in my 40s early 40s then and he, I think he was 52 or something like that and I said mate I I just want to go out, put on a show and then go to the bar and get a beer. Because that's exactly what I want. And I thought, like, oh, yeah, okay. So we kind of made friends instantly from that. And because he knew I was older, I was bigger, I'm not going to be some little smart ass that wants to flip and do all this monkey stuff with him and all that, uh, it worked out well. And the match was reasonably basic, you know. I was on top for a bit. I'd throw him around. We ended up in the crowd. We brought all the way through the crowd. We went up to the bar. We were throwing tables and chairs and all sorts of shit we smashed all the barricades down around the ring we just destroyed the place and i give him this big splash in the corner and put him down and i pin him and he kicks out and then he puts on starts on the heel stuff so he's giving me a big kick to the balls and then he's grabbed the tie off the referee or someone he's choking me and all this so i'm selling all this for him really good and then he goes i'm gonna put you in the recliner which was the steiner recliner his finish move and i'm like yeah all right so he's hooked me up and put me in. I'm like, ah, yeah, really selling it and managed to get to the ropes just to break it. Uh, but I think the match in the end was a bit of a schmoz where all these people come running out and there's romance yeah. and all sorts. Oh, so yeah. It wasn't the case that he lost and it wasn't the case that I'd won. So it was cool because we both got what we wanted because yeah. I didn't really want to lose and nor did he, but he didn't want me to win and I didn't want him to win. Yeah. yeah so gotcha. it worked out really, really well. But we got along really well from that. ...point on and, you know, he'd sign... ...we were signing posters together and we had a photo together and all that. I didn't ask for an autograph because I never... ...any of those guys, I don't ask for autographs or anything. If if they say, let's get a photo, I get... ...okay, and then I go, can I get a copy of that? Much like when I do bodyguarding work, I don't ask the client for photos... ...I don't ask the client for autographs. Nothing. What I do in that stage is I know where the photographers are... ...when they're doing photos, whether it's for the newspaper... ...or even when we're out somewhere... So, sneaky me is always in the right spot behind yeah. him where I know my face is going to end up. And then I can get that photo from the media when it's online. Do little cheeky things like that. But it's good for my professionalism that I never ask him. Yeah. And I've yeah, not definitely. asked a client once or any, even the wrestling guys. So, yeah.
0: So, when did you get into that caper then? Turning into, I guess, the, the bodyguard in Australia and obviously going overseas as well. I know you did a lot of the work with the WWE guys when mm. they came out to Australia, but then you've done know, some, some huge names as well. So how did that c- all come about? I had done El McPherson when I was younger
2: and then and there was a big break. Do you I, want to
1: rephrase the way you said that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our audience are going to get very excited.
1: We'll cut yeah. that up. And, <laughs> <laughs> that's a clip. That's a clip right there. Uh,
2: i had worked with El uh, McPherson okay. earlier in my career. <laughs> worked <laughs> that's, that's very good um well and then there was there was nothing for a while but then I'd purchased my own security company like I said sundown and I had a phone call one day from this guy called Glenn Jennings who ended up being one of my best friends and still is today he owns a company in Newcastle called NES but I didn't know that at the time and he said to me he goes oh I'm just looking for some security to assist me to get some people off a plane and onto a bus in Adelaide can can you help I said, yeah yeah we can help He's he okay, gave me the dates and everything and said, We'll be here at this time, meet us here and blah, blah, blah. It's okay. Didn't know what who they were or what was happening. Uh, and he gets off the plane and they're still on the plane. He goes, Right. And he said, so he said, Are you familiar with the wrestling? And I've gone, <laughs> Yeah. He, I said, I'm thinking, you know, he's gonna say, Oh, you look like a wrestler and I went, okay. And he goes, Oh, the WWE are on the on the plane. I'm like, What? He goes, WWE they're touring here and I said, I oh, know, I got tickets to the show tonight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> And he goes, well, you, oh, won't, be, you won't be needing them. <laughs> I go, really? So he goes, we need to get them from here to there. I went, okay. And I had a group, a team of guys with me. So yeah. we, we escorted them onto the bus. And he said, get on the bus. I said, what? He said, get on the bus with us. So I okay. threw my keys to somebody else. It's said, take the car. <laughs> Hopped on the bus and I'm sitting in the front. And it's just surreal that I'm sitting here and there's like John Cena, Randy Orton, Edge, all these sorts of people behind me. And you can hear them all talking, and you know, I'm like a little school kid in the front, <laughs> <Yeah. you know? laughs> trying not to show my enthusiasm whatsoever by trying to be this big tough guy in the front. Like, oh yeah, every yeah. yeah. now and then they'd say something, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and like, and he steer straight ahead again. Uh, and he said to me, he said, "Look, what we need you to do if you want to hang with us for the whole day, stay in the foyer of the hotel, piss off any of the like little fans that are trying to run around and get autographs." I said, "Because this is this is where they relax now before the show." So I did that, and you know, they'd be walking past to these different wrestlers and so on. You go, "Oh, that's so and so," but yeah. then you got to <coughs> <Yeah>. focus yourself again. <laughs> yeah, I'm being <again>. paid. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, being yeah paid. I'm being paid. If I want to do this again, I have got to be a fanboy. So Glenn then said to me, "He said, right, get on the bus. You're going to come to the show with us." I'm like, "What?" He said, "You come, you're coming with us." So all right, so came to the show, got my AAA pass. He said, right, just do the runway when the show's happening and all that sort of stuff. Meanwhile, I'm in a suit. I'm not actually dressed as a proper security or CPP officer. Show finished. It was a great show. I got to see it all. My family were up in the seats where they were and I'm down here. They left and they went to somewhere else. And I'm like, oh, that was so cool. Long story short, he gets in touch with me again the following year and said, we're coming again. Do you want to do it again? And so this started happening on a yearly basis. And it happened for a couple of years and then he said to me, he goes, there's a job with WWE in Malaysia and they want you to go. I said, well, what do you mean they want me to go? He said, well, because it's in that lower part of the world, in the Asia-style mm. area, he said, we supply people to go with them. for like, It was a PR tour, so it was only one talent that was going there to promote WWE on their local network That's and gotcha. all that sort of stuff. And he said, they've asked for you to go. I was like, oh. Shit, okay. I so yeah, okay, I'll go. So I went and did that and did my same thing, you know. What, what I normally do when I do bodyguard work is I don't talk to the client or the, the principal at all. I focus on their protection. I'm not there to be their friend. I'm not there to chat with yeah. them. If they talk to me, I'll talk back to them, engage with them and so on. But I'm still – like if you guys were my principal now and you're talking to me, my eyes would be over here watching what's happening outside but I'd still be talking to you and answering questions and so on but then I'd still be looking here. It's called situational awareness where you have to know what's going on around you because at any point, at any stage, somebody can come through with a knife, a gun, a bat or anything and try and attack your principal. So your job is to stop that from happening. So I went over to Malaysia and I was doing that and obviously Malaysia's a whole different kettle of fish over there. You know, it's, it's completely different. You know, you can be in a slum area at one stage and then you're in the most richest part of the country in a second. It just yeah, okay. changes like that. Then they started getting me to do other countries. I did Singapore. I did the Philippines. And the Philippines was a tough one. Because when we went there, I had, uh, <laughs> I had the big show Ooh. with me. <laughs> so I've got seven foot Paul White standing behind <laughs> me. Seven Paul White. And the funny thing was, is when he met me, he's looked at me and said, oh, okay, you know, big guy, reasonably toys, that's all right. He said, uh, what if they shoot at my head? And I've gone, uh, oh. I said, I can jump really high. <laughs> and he goes, all right, all right. <laughs> Because <laughs> I've gone, I can jump. And I got my hand up in front of his face like this. And he goes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it might work. And we had a laugh about it. Actually, this is a funny story I'll tell you about Paul in a minute. But when we were there, we had to go do an appearance at a mall, a shopping center. I think it was Mall of Asia or something like that, I think it's called. The security guys that work in the mall walk around with pump action shotguns.
0: Oh, and ah, okay. Old, shitty, rusty pump action shotguns. But I. Are we talking like, you know, in the Western kind of films, those kind of guns? The or? big. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh. Yep, yep. The big boys. Yeah. So th- you know, I've never seen security walk around in a shopping
2: centre with pump-action shotguns. So we walk, there's 30 of them that have surrounded us to walk Paul in and get him in to do all his thing and so on. And this is when I started to learn how serious the job was. And one of the guys said to me, he goes, right, there's no backpacks on the stage. I gone, okay. And he said, you know why, don't you? I gone, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I I went and spoke to one of my friends that was on the tour with us, who was one of the agents. I said, why don't we let the backpacks on? He said, because it could be a bomb. Mm. I said, shit. Yeah. Okay. You're right. He said, that's why no backpacks. He said, because they can come up with the backpack. What they do is they take it off, put it next to the table, get their item signed, have the picture with the talent. They walk off and they leave the bag there. And then all of a sudden the bag, bang. And then Mm. your talent, your, your principal's dead and so are you. So that was a real interesting introduction to the the seriousness especially when you go overseas of how things have to be done Mm. so yeah we did the no backpacks i was really conscious of that i was conscious of the guys around with all the guns and all this sort of stuff and having paul as well he's just massive you know so made it twice as hard to to protect him but we got the job done and they they were really happy with it because obviously i kept doing the work and you know i've been with them for about 25 years now yeah wow two funny points with paul is never get in a lift with him (laughs) Never We get into this lift In the Philippines We walk in And then all these businessmen Come in So all these businessmen Are here And there's me And then there's Paul And they walk in And they don't say They make, they make a noise They don't even say anything They walked in They looked And they went Oh And we're just looking At him like How you doing Lift shuts Door goes up We start travelling up the, the building All of a sudden oh. And I've just looked at him and he starts laughing. And I'm like, Are you kidding me? He goes, Wayne. I said, Don't Wayne me. I said, That was a giant fart. I said, That's not me. And all these businessmen are still there like this. Bone <laughs> oh, faced. No. Not moving, nothing. The lift opens, and I, I've never seen them move so fast. They just oh, bail oh. out. And then me, him, my friend Chris, who worked for WWE, oh, we've just lost it and they're just crying. I feel like I could smell it from here. Yeah, uh, big show. <laughs> 500 pound fart. Oh yeah, you know, God. that's how B is. Can you imagine the, 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 in, the, the, the exit of gas? That's yeah. a, oh, the wind. Brutal. If anyone lit a match in that lift, we'd be finished. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was one funny thing with Paul. The second thing he told us, he told me the story about when WCW used to be filmed at Disneyland. Mm. They used to film there. That so, was
0: Eric Bischoff days, wasn't it? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. What had happened
2: was the wrestlers used to share the catering with the, the park people. So the people that would dress up as characters and people that would work there on the rides, they all went to the same catering where the wrestlers went. So Paul's sitting there one day having something to eat and he's got all the boys around him and all this and then in walks Snow White and they all stop and they look they're like, oh, Snow White. (laughs) Paul's gone, "Ah, just leave it to the big boys, shall we? And they're looking so Paul gets up and he goes to walk over (laughs) and he starts chatting away to, to Snow White and all this. And the boys are all looking at him like, are you kidding me? This is just disgusting. He's putting it on, putting the moves on and all this. Long story short, he ends up in a boiler room with Snow White.
0: <laughs> Wowee.
2: Not going to go into detail. No.
1: But <laughs> you yeah. can off air with us. We'd love to hear that.
2: And then for the whole rest of the trip that we had, there were all Snow White comments through the whole well, tour. done, Big man. Do you have to wait outside? <laughs> When he was with Snow White, yeah, I'm glad I wasn't there. Oh, oh right, you went. Yeah, I, I wasn't. You. I, I wasn't got there you, for got Snow you, got White. You, no, thank God. <laughs> wow, wait. I was there for the more horrendous hazmat suit fart. <laughs> <than anything else. laughs>
1: so, in terms of like you've worked with even outside of WWE, so we've we've got David Beckham, Steven Seagal, um, John Travolta. Who else? Have, who else is on Jean-Claude your list? John Claude Van Damme. John Claude Van Damme. There's a few. So, there's a few really big names. Like we're talking like real A grade. So, yep. where does the line? Between like total paranoia when you're on you're working, mm. you got like massive amount of crowd and people and and I don't know if if, if the talent is in a good mood and they actually want to go and speak and engage with the crowd. How do you even go about that? Where does you, the line of you know total I got to be like so on here versus yeah let them kind of be?
2: It changes from client to client. David Beckham hated paparazzi, Mm. paranoid to the the extent of paranoia. Uh, We had him at a point where him and some of the team from the LA Galaxy wanted to go out to get pizza, so we took him to this pizza place. And, I mean, look, I understand where he's coming from. We had paparazzi hiding in bins across the road, like in the big green bin. They're in the bin with the lid open, with the lens out, trying to get photos of him. are you serious? I can see it, you know. You feel like going up there and throwing shit in the bin just to to get the photographer. But it got to a point where he'd had enough and he said, look, I've just got to go. He had one of his own personal people with him from the US. He was an ex-US uh, ranger, so he's ex-military. And he said to him, he said, get me out of here. So he's come over to me and he goes, we've got to move David now. David got that paranoid. He got up and he wanted to go and he kind of took off and he went to go and he ran into the kitchen thinking there's going to be a back door. We're going to go out the back door. Get into the kitchen. There's no back door. David's like, oh, fuck, 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 fuck. where do Where do I go? Where do we go? So we got him out again, got him through the, the the restaurant and he bolted, like he ran. And his personal, thank God he was super fit, could keep up with him. <laughs> he's yeah, he's like a professional soccer player, for yeah. God's sake. You know, I'm, I'm well, 130 plus kilos. I ain't running for nothing. <laughs> you know, well, I couldn't. <laughs> so he's taken off with him and ran back to the hotel to get him back. Sure enough who's the monkey that ended up carrying eight pizzas back to the hotel for everyone. <laughs> it's the only clip on the news of me that ended up <laughs> David Beckham's in town and here's his personal bodyguard must've been hungry for the day on the national news. My phone uh, blew up with everyone going, bullshit. Oh, you work for pizza hut now. I'm like, oh, "Oh, That's hilarious. Funny, funny. Oh. But then you go to the other end of the spectrum with somebody like John Travolta. Mm. My relationship with John Travolta is just amazing. I can't, say a bad word about him he's incredible i remember when i first was on the tarmac at the airport waiting because he flew himself here in his own jet of course yeah <laughs> forget about that yeah so impressive. i'm standing on the tarmac waiting for the plane to land. And he lands and he hops out and he goes up to say hello to the the important people first and then i'm standing back there and he sees me and he walks over to me and he puts his hand out and the first words out of his mouth and i'm not kidding is he goes you are one impressive man <laughs> i'm sure i said thanks very much and in my head i'm going i like this
1: dude (laughs) i'd be thinking so are you
2: (laughs) yeah Yeah, i think will speak for yourself yeah so um that was the start of our kind of working relationship Mm. was he he knows how to get people on the right side of him as well because you always compliment them and that's what he did so he's very smart uh having said that he was really great to work with he would would talk to me and engage with me like i was stone cold, looking this way, doing my job and stuff. But then he'd come up and say, you know, is everything okay? Do you need a drink? Are you all right? You know, he's worried about me. And I'm like, dude, you're John Travolta. Don't worry about me, okay? (laughs) My job's you. And I remember we were in the lift. We got back to the hotel after one event. I can't remember what it was. And he's standing next to me and he puts his arm around me and he puts his head on my shoulder. I said, you all right? What's wrong? He goes, I'm so tired, Wayne. (laughs) Like, it's all right, It's alright man, don't worry, I'll get you back yeah. to your room and he had his uh, assistant with him and all this sort of stuff. So we had a really good relationship like that but then we were doing this, it's called An Evening With It was through a, a business called Anthology, uh, my manager owns that so Anthony, there you go, there's a the plug. Nice, <laughs> very nice. He <laughs> like um, He was doing An Evening With so he would sit up on stage and have a discussions with the whole crowd and talk about the movies, the films, dancing, singing, all this sort of stuff. And at the back of the theatre, it was in St Kilda. There's a a theatre that's on the beach kind of down there. Is it the Palais? Yes. Yes. So I'm not sure if you know the back area of the theatre, but it's actually all caged in. Yeah. So we had the limousine in there. So we're just about to bring him out. John has this thing that if any of his fans see him, he has to go see them. He has to sign an autograph. He will have a photo with them. He doesn't want them to think bad of him. He wants to give them an experience. So there's two ways we look at it. John says, there's either two things you can do. He said, one, you can get me in and out of places without anyone knowing. And he goes, I'm fine with that. He said, but if you get me in and out of somewhere and a fan sees me and so on, he goes, I'm going to see them.
1: Okay. Wow. No worries.
2: So at the hotel, when we got there, there was a few fans out the front, so we wanted to go say hello and sign and take photos. No problem. Did that and it was all right. Once the show had finished at St Kilda, we've gone out to the back area where it's all caged in. I've walked out there and all of a sudden there's like 500 people outside the cage. And I've gone, <laughs> <Long night. laughs> he's going to see <laughs> yeah. 500 people and go, I need to see them. And you know what? I was right. He's walked up to the fence and he's touching everyone's hands. I and mean, going, been, g'day, 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 how you going like this? And then he gets to a point where the gate is and he goes, oh, I can open the gate. He's pulled the gate open. Move the security know. out of the way and he's walked smack out into the middle of 500 people. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've gone, oh. So I've what gone straight in with him. I'm right behind, like literally right behind, almost like I'm hugging him, keeping people away and they're all getting trying to get pictures and he's signing stuff and so on. I'm thinking this is my nightmare because I have him in the middle of 500 people. I can't control 500 people on my own. I'm trying to cover him as best I can. <laughs> without, you know, someone coming in with a knife or a bat yeah. or a yeah. you know, a gun or anything. So I give him about, you know, five or six minutes and then I just grab him. I said, Johnny, we're gonna go. And I start moving him along and he's still signing as I'm moving him along <laughs> like this, you know. And we get him into the car and he goes, Oh thanks He said, Yeah, that was that that was really good. Because he was able to engage with them. And then the end result was I was the bad guy. Yeah. I yeah. said, Johnny, we got to go. And I had to move him. So he kept trying to sign and that. So at the end of the day, everyone would have gone, oh, John Travolta is so nice. He yeah, wanted to stay and yeah. sign. You know, security was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah. The clients can be so different. Mm. WWE guys are really fan oriented because they're, they're the fans are what makes them. Yeah. Mm. You know, if they don't have a following, then they're dead in the water. I guess much the same with the movie stars and all that. Van Damme is very similar. He likes to have photos with with fans and so on like that. But then in turn he likes his space. I remember when he was doing his interview talk thing, same thing sort of like an evening with, with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Again, Anthony brought him out. An- Anthology. Anthony. it. <laughs> an <cover. laughs> uh, <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme actually mentioned me on stage and said how appreciative he is of how I did He goes, oh, this is Wayne, this is my bodyguard. He goes, you know, Wayne is really big, I like it, but he goes, sometimes bodyguards try to get in the picture, they touch me, they do this, they do that. He goes, Wayne isn't like that. He goes, he's big, but you don't know he's there. And he said, I really appreciate that sort of... Oh, you know, for me, you. Van Damme was my idol yeah. as a kid. Yeah, Van Damme was everything to me. My my room had Van Damme posters I'd bought... Every Blitz magazine that came out with him on the front, <laughs> I didn't read the book. I tore the front cover <laughs> off and I put it in a frame and I put yeah. it on the wall. And he cares about kickboxing, did not give a yeah. shit. But I put his picture everywhere. So when they said you got to look after him, I'm like, are you serious? Funny thing was is that you know I thought Van Dam, big dude, massive dude, can do all this stuff. When I mean he's only a little short fella. Mm. <laughs> But he could still kick his foot up over my head, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he did it at one stage as a demo and he's like, <laughs> and I've gone, oh, wow. So it was pretty cool. And even Steven Seagal meeting him, man, he is an intense dude. I bet. Oh, and yeah. it doesn't shut off. He is intensely 100% the whole time. Mm. I met him at the VIP entrance to the Sydney airport and uh, there was me uh, and my publicist and Anthony and a few others. And uh, he walks up to me and he goes, I guess you're my security. I said, Yes, sir. He goes, What are, what are you carrying? I'm like, uh, Nothing. He goes, What do you mean you're unarmed? I said, Yeah. He goes, Why? I said, well, We're not allowed to carry a weapon to protect life here in Australia. He goes, hmm. He just gives me that cigar look. And I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. God. <laughs> and he goes, What are you going to do if someone shoots at me? I've gone, Get in the way. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, good answer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, beautiful. And he shook my hand and then, you know, I actually got along with Stephen really well. I still talk to Stephen to this day. Oh, cool. I text him, you know, happy birthday, Merry Christmas, all that nice. sort of stuff and get a response back from him, oh, which is good. good. So I've kept that relationship with him. I'm really good friends with John Travolta's assistant. So passing messages to and from between and Anthony, my manager Anthony Yanko, <laughs> Uh <laughs> he's really she good friends, really yeah. good friends with John Travolta. So Lovely. they chat all the time, which is great. So it's nice to have those sorts of relationships with those sorts of people. But of course. I don't overdo it. Mm. You don't try and push yourself on. Sure. them. Even with the WWE, for years I worked with them, and then all of a sudden, one of them I can't remember who it was, uh, might have been Sheamus, turned around and said to me, and "He goes, do you wrestle?" I said, uh, yeah. He said, why didn't you say anything? I said, because my job here is to protect you guys. It's not for me to market myself
0: mm. to try and get in the WWE. Ho- hoping that, yeah, that they might tell Vince and then Vince <laughs> might, yeah, you know, go, yeah. who's this Australian? Yeah. <laughs> get, him t- get him coming over. I know. I mean, look, <laughs> I,
2: I had discussions with WWE in my late 20s. There was a guy called Ty Bailey and I was talking to him and we are almost at the point of me signing a contract wow. with them. And it was Christmas time and Ty turned around and said, look, nothing's going to happen now between now and Christmas and so on. he said, so look, we're going to revisit it in the new year and we'll get it done. I said, yeah, no worries. So I didn't hear anything from Ty and then I ended up ringing and I said, oh, I want to talk to Ty Bailey, please, and so on. They said, oh, unfortunately, Ty doesn't work here anymore. Uh, of course. Yeah. I found out that Ty had got fired. So there was a new guy called Canyon, Canyon Seaman. <laughs> <laughs> you're laughing I'm not yeah. <laughs> no anyway so anyway he he was a ex-pro volleyballer okay. that was in charge of talent relations and I rang him and I spoke to him and he'd, he'd seen my stuff and all that sort of thing and he goes you're in your mid to mid to late sort of 20s I said yeah that's right he goes that's too old I said sorry he goes that's it's too old we we were looking for people that are 18 19 that will have longevity on camera and so on I said, really? I said, I was at the point of almost signing with Ty. They've seen all my stuff. And he goes, Nut, nah, sorry. Gosh. Gosh. And then we are on tour again one year and John Laurinaitis, who was then in charge of talent relations, they were having tryouts and he'd seen me earlier on. And when the tryouts were happening, I was off site. I think I was with Kofi doing a, a meet and greet somewhere and I've come back in and I'm in catering, eating. And again, I think it might have been Seamus that come in. And he goes, Wayne. I said, what? He goes, Johnny wants you with the ring now. I said, why? And he goes, he's... Get there now. And I'm thinking, oh, what have I done? So I ran out there and he goes – he pulls out this folder and he goes, is that you? I said, uh, yeah. He said, you're listed here for a tryout. Why are you not in the ring? I said, well, well no one told me. And I said, I was out doing my job with Kofi. Mm. And he goes, oh, he shuts the folder and then goes back to doing it. So there was two opportunities. For wow. Me. Me. Yeah, <laughs> that I could have possibly gotten in there. But then as discussed in my, my chat with Ryback and his um, – Podcast, He said, you probably never would have ended up doing what you've been doing or ended up where you are now if you had been signed with the WWE. Mm. Um, And I said, you know what? You're probably right. So, you know, there's there's good and bad in all of it. And I think from the damage that's happened to my body in the 15 years that I've wrestled independently, I can only imagine what I would have done Mm. professionally considering their schedule, which is back to back
1: to back to back. Yeah. One final question along the security side of things, because I, I just can't imagine... When you're dealing with people of this such high caliber, there's obviously danger potentially at every corner, every mm. every moment. So, do you your mindset must just be do you even what do you even think about what could go wrong for you personally, or is it just doesn't even cross your mind? Uh, I think if I thought about it,
2: I'd be completely different to what I am when I'm on the job. From the fact that yeah, you're right. When you sit down and you think about it, I could die at any stage because I'm protecting this person. I have to get in the way of anything that is going to affect their well-being, mm. you know, whether it is a bomb, a gun, a knife, somebody wanting to attack them, all these sorts of things. I'm the person, I'm hired to get in the way of that yeah. so the principal does not get hurt. So, yeah, I never really put that thought into my head while I was working. I tried to not think about it because, you know, I had you know a wife and my son at home, Sure, my two sons, in fact, at home that, of course, I want to come home to. So, yeah, I don't think I let that creep into my mind at all. It was more of an instinct thing for me when I was at work that at the end of it, like I'm super protective of my family, you know. And we mentioned earlier on off camera that, you know, I spent four and a half years fighting for the custody of my youngest son. Mm. That's the sort of guy I am protection-wise and that transpires into my work as well. So, you know, when they say you must look after this person and no one touches them, that's what I do. Yeah. I don't think about, hold on, if I do that, what's gonna happen to me as well? I think from my makeup, from being on Young Rock, tearing my hamstring to still acting and getting the scene done, to wrestling in the ring when I tore one of my pegs off by being flipped 360 degrees outside the ring, I still wrestled for another 10 minutes to finish the match because we knew we had to get that story told. I'm the sort of person that, you know, if something happens, I'll get the job done regardless of what the outcome will be and that, uh, I guess, transfers into my bodyguard work it's, as well.
1: It's very
0: selfless. Mm. Okay. Do we want to get into the fan questions? <laughs> Can't wait. I <laughs> oh, hope yeah. you tell me who they're from. <laughs> oh, we will. <laughs> Should we go with that one, the first, that first yeah, one? Yeah, go start with that one. So the question is this. So I'll say who it's from after the question. Okay. See
1: if we can guess. Okay.
0: So... Ask Wayne if he is still upset that his little brother Craven beat him for both belts in 2010. <laughs> who, who, would have, who would have wrote this? Uh, Luke. <laughs> so is that is, is Luke Taz underscore Craven? Yes. yes. His wrestling name is the Australian sensation Craven.
2: Okay. And, uh, yes, he did beat me and he took the belts in a match, one of the big shows in Perth, and he even slammed me as well. He's the only person that slammed me as
1: well. Wow. So, yeah. Thanks, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> he also he also sent us the full match that we <laughs> yeah. watched. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Of that was the match. Yeah. He, right.
2: Luke is basically like my little brother, my surrogate little brother. He's been like that. I've known him for years, yep. and that's
1: how our relationship is. So, I love when I had to job for him, I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next question. I think I pronounced this right. Giant coyote. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Why was a giant coyote the best tag team partner he ever had? <laughs> Well, he was the best tag team partner. Well, he's one
2: of the best tag team partners I've ever had. That's Josh. Now, <laughs> Josh is almost seven foot tall. And cool. he, at the time when we were tagging together, he was close to 500 pounds as well. Wow. Josh was wow, a monster. Big so his wrestling name was Coyote. And I'm the one that named him the Giant Coyote because I booked him on my super show where him and I wrestled inside of a cage. Later on down the track, we created a wrestling group which caused chaos through Australia and everywhere called The Bullet Click. And it was really legitimate heat that we got with what we created because we used the first name of a big wrestling faction in Japanese wrestling called The Bullet Club. Oh, yes. And in WWF, there was The Click, Mm. which was Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Razor Ramon and the 123 Kid back in the late 80s, 90s. So we created the bullet click and we basically played it off as that we didn't give a shit what anyone said. If the fans tried to give us heat online, we'd bag them back to no end. These are my favourite ones. Yeah. yeah. We just used to just have no regard for anyone. And even when someone would do an interview, we'd do it in character so that you know they'd ask the question and you'd be like, what sort of a question is that, you idiot? (laughs) Stand up and I'll smack the yellow off your teeth. Let's see how funny that is. They're like, oh.
1: Geez, that got to me. That was a bit scared then. So
2: we kept that character and we ended up building the faction that big that we had wrestlers from every state of Australia. We ended up having wrestlers from England. We had wrestlers in America. We had them from all over the world wanting to join us in this faction. That's so cool. It was huge. We sold so much merchandise, it was ridiculous. It was just massively over. I think, I think the bullet click fa- uh, Facebook page is still up, which would have videos and so yeah, on cool. that where you can see. Yeah, but to see me and Josh tag teaming against other people, it was just like they were like having the worst yeah. nightmare.
0: <laughs> 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 Ali Shula. So, what is the craziest experience you've ever had while bodyguarding? Uh, I'm sure probably, there's a lot. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, there is a lot. I think probably the craziest one was with David Beckham when he was with LA Galaxy. <clears throat> they were coming out of an event and they had to hop on this tour bus and we're walking them out and I'm shadowing David and this guy comes out of nowhere trying to get to David to touch, ah, oh, David, 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 this sort of thing. And the guy had really sharp fingernails and he's trying to touch him and get like this <sighs> and I'm getting in between him and he just clawed me all down the side of my face, like literally cut me open, the wow. nails were this sharp. So I'd hate to think if that was directed at David, or the guy was just a super fan of David's, or or what I don't know. But these nails he had were just brutal, and I wore it because that's that was my job. I had to do it. So that was probably one of the
1: least fun experiences that I yeah, had. Yeah, that's crazy. So this one's a good question too from Garni Studios. And any near-death experiences? Well, he's obviously given us the, the lift with well, Paul White. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not what I was gonna going to go with, actually. That's so you like... get, this could be bodyguarding, this could be wrestling, but, yeah, any near-death or, experiences? Or at, the, uh, at Heaven Nightclub, who <laughs> yeah. knows, you know? Yeah, uh,
2: well, yeah, the, the, the gassing was a, a terrible <laughs> event with Paul. So, no, no, I, I don't really think so. I haven't had anything that's that brutal work-wise where I've had to face, you know, a weapon or, or anything such as that, but... You know, a lot of the times when you go overseas, there are scary moments because you're in a different country. And when you can't express yourself or talk to the people about what you need and what you want done and they kind of look at you in a blank look because they don't understand English, it makes it really hard. So I think not any sort of near-death experiences, but I think the Philippines was probably one of the toughest places I had to work for. At that time, the regime was too, is that I think the guy running... The Philippines had a zero tolerance on drugs, yep. I think, from what I remember. And what it was was if you were a drug dealer, you're a known drug dealer, you'd get shot on the spot. Dead. And then all you had to say was that was a drug dealer and it was acceptable. Oh, my God. This is the way this guy had set it mm. up. So it was, Holy shit. It was a bit frightening at that time to be there uh, in in that time doing protection work, but... Yeah, we didn't get bothered, we were lucky. So, mm.
1: yeah. well, I've got one final question. I don't know if you've got one, but no, I'm
0: gonna leave this. Oh, well, I just
1: wanted to dispel a myth because this is something that's crept into your and our, our friendship. Obviously, we're not we're nowhere near pro wrestlers, no. but uh, we heard this rumor a, a few years ago, and we've been doing it ever since in our friendship okay. group that <laughs> yes, when you shake guy. hands, uh, when two wrestlers shake hands, they give it the almost a limp kind of floppy fish handshake, and that's their secret code to say. I'm a wrestler. You're a wrestler. We're both wrestlers because if I met a wrestler, like I'll try and prove that I can Break <laughs> just the right just hand. Break but the hand. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> hope and that and I get a handshake. Something. People yeah. walk around backstage in like places like WWE and they just give the dead fish handshake to each other. Is that true or is that a load of bullshit? Uh, I, I haven't really paid attention to it, to be honest. <laughs> you <know>? Just been <laughs> squeezing everyone's <laughs> yeah. hands. So, so now, sorry. So now, every time we shake each other's hands, it's that, which is ridiculous. Look, <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I've got—I don't know if you can see that scar on my hand there. I had oh, that wow. whole yeah, hand yeah. completely Ooh. rebuilt, so my handshake is probably the wet fish handshake twenty-four-seven. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I guess I'd inadvertently fallen into that club myself of <laughs> that uh, handshake <laughs> than anything else. Yeah, no, maybe I, not. I'm gonna to have to sit back and think about that now a bit. I mean, my handshake with Paul White was his fingers come up halfway <laughs> up my forearm. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that, it's a bit different when when you have that sort of guy shake your hands. No, I don't know. I can't can't give you a definitive no, answer okay, on that one. That's okay. That's
0: okay. So I guess for our listeners, where can they find you and and you know watch some of your stuff? I know you've got Vigilantes that's coming up soon. Yep. Um, but your previous work, you know, on the camera, uh, website, social media, where can they find you?
2: Yeah, uh, I have a, a fan page on Facebook called Wayne the Maniac Matty. Instagram is just Wayne underscore Matty. That has a lot of my stuff. And I'm more more active on Instagram than, than most. I have a web page as well, www.waynematty.com.au. That has a lot of stuff on there in regards to what movies or TV shows I'm doing and so on. Cool. They're probably the main ones. I'm not a big... Big fan of Twitter. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, you know, sort of like, you know, Twitter is just trash. No one goes on there anymore anyway. I I don't know, have to ask Elon about that see what he (laughs) thinks. To be honest. They're they're the main. I think my Instagram is probably the most main one. And then we have Matty Motion Pictures on Instagram as well, which will show a lot of the Vigilante stuff that's coming up and what we're doing and so on. So yeah, there's a few different avenues there.
1: Keep an eye. There's plenty of exciting things happening. But Wayne Percy, thank you. It was worth the red eye flight this
0: morning to come down <laughs> wasn't it? Um, I'll tell you what, we did struggle getting out of bed at four o'clock this morning. Yeah, you know, but, uh, but it was I all saw worth your it. story where you are <laughs> <like, laughs> getting on the plane and
2: something like that. I'm thinking, I'm watching that while I'm in bed drinking my coffee. <laughs> like, ah, good <laughs> on you, boys. Well, no,
1: we, we appreciate it. I've, this is one of my favourite interviews too. we've ever done. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for welcoming us into your home, being so open. Very um, well. And to be honest, I would tell you this too. Normally, we hate setting up in front of people. That's, you know, when you're at home, you can set up and they can just walk in and we can do the interview or whatever. Yeah, but it sucks setting up in front of people, and some people really give you a wiggle on, and you feel like, Oh, fuck, I'm really uncomfortable you know, <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah. You know, I don't want to piss this bloke off, but you know what? <laughs> it was a joy setting up. It was. So, uh, no, but just thank you, mate. Really appreciate it, and thanks for joining us.
2: No, you're welcome. Look, I can appreciate what it is to, to set stuff up for I me. Mean, only the other week we were shooting, so I had cameras and tripods and stuff coming out of my ass everywhere. So, <laughs> yeah, I get you. Thank oh, you. It's okay. all good.
0: Appreciate all good. it. Maybe we can, you can give us a choke slam or something later, you know? <laughs>
2: hey, <laughs> always open for. For a chokeslam. You know, we can do it in the pool if you want. So we got us, it. Go and dust oh, up again. Oh, my 40s are, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Wayne. Thanks, Wayne.
0: No, thank you. D, wasn't that episode just awesome?
1: Oh, mate, I got so much out of it. I'm sure you did too. And, of course, thank you to everyone who listened.
0: Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.
1: For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And, of course, you have your chance to get a shout-out.
0: Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, D?
1: It's at Dawson D underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D underscore.
0: See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you in the next episode.